on 98FM and online. This is Phoenix FM. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Welcome to another edition of... Happiness to be found, even in the darkest of times. probably contains a new data encryption algorithm. You'll never get in there. Yes, and welcome to another edition of the Happiness Algorithm with me, James Roast. It's the show that talks all things mental health, emotional well-being and what we can do to make us that little bit happier. Now joining me on today's show uh, is a guest and we'll be discussing, we'll be talking all things resilience, all things bravery and all things hope. Sadly every year around 55,000 women and 370 men are diagnosed with breast cancer in the UK. Breast cancer is now the most common cancer with one woman diagnosed every 10 minutes. It's a sad and worrying statistic that one in seven women in the UK will develop breast cancer in their lifetime. Research continues to fight this vicious disease and in turn helping many recover. One of those in recovery is my guest today, NHS worker, radio presenter and soon to be published author with her very first book titled Bald, Brave and Bloody Beautiful is my very special guest. Please welcome to the show, Danielle McDermott. Danielle, how are you doing on this fine day? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you. I love that introduction. It was fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you know what? You deserved more. You deserved more. But I don't want to take away from our conversation. Um, Danielle, we've been talking for a long time, uh, trying to get you on the show. I know we've had a a couple of sort of hit and misses and that, but um, it is a real pleasure uh, to finally be sort of having this conversation with you oh no thank you thank you for inviting me on as well I've been dying to get on <laughs> <laughs> well listen um obviously it was a very brief introduction mm. and um tell us a little bit more about who you are and your journey so I'm um, just a typical Liverpool girl <laughs> I'm a mum to um, an eight-year-old daughter Holly um I work as you said for the NHS I'm currently family liaison I've uh, I've been shielding though for the past four months well I've been off for five months because I was unwell in uh, the start of the year um yeah and then at the age of 35 I was diagnosed with breast cancer um and that was four days after winning employee of the year for the trust um I'd set up a relaxation room to support some of the psychological effects of a stroke um things were I was very stressed if I'm being honest beforehand um doing two diplomas um training as a counsellor and the other one was uh, business administration which was I was doing in the trust and I put too much on myself to be honest um but it all just come to a head and yeah and I ended up just having that devastating news really um I was told I'd 
lose my breast. But beforehand, I did have a premonition. I'd, uh, I'd had breast cancer, so automatically I was looking towards my left breast. And um, so I, I caught mine very early, thankfully. And I, li- I listened to my body. I am very intuitive in that respect. Well, that's quite a... Um... Quite, quite cr- contrasting emotions to go mm-hmm. from, you know, employee of the year yeah. and then and then to receive that, that devastating news. If we may, take us back to that um, day that you that you received that news and, and what that felt like and, and the emotions that you went through. Yeah, do you know, I, I, when I um, went to the clinic, I'll start off with that. I had um, my mum and my auntie with me. And I'd had a, an ultrasound first, and I knew by the way she was um, scanning me, she was underneath the breast, underneath the um, the arm, and I was going, why are you going under my arm? And I could just tell by her face, and she was saying, no, no, I'm just checking out, I just want to make sure everything's okay. Right, okay. But um, when I went in to see the nurse, my mum's a um, breast secretary, so um, I know all the team very well anyway. And uh, Donna said she's seen something suspicious. They're not worried about your lump, but they, 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 but it's very small. What she's what she thinks she's seen. She can be overcautious, which is what you want. But we're going to have to uh, bring you back for mammograms. They couldn't fit me in that day, so I went back to the office. Um, I'd had an email off Donna saying that um, we can fit you in for your mammogram. Had my first mammogram, goes back out. They called me back in. They wanted me to they wanted to press harder on the breast because I had something called calcification. They wanted to see if that would be removed um, from pressing harder. As I walked back out, there was my mum and my auntie sitting there, and my mum's face was just white. And I thought, something's not right here. And my auntie sat me in between the two of them, and I'm just looking at both of them. They're going, everything's going to be okay, you know. I went, okay. So I walked into the room, and when my breast nurse Donna walked back in, I went, this is it. She said, um, right, it is cancer. And I was just like, oh, my God. the hell! I was just in so much fear and shock. My first words were, am I going to die? She said, absolutely not. But you can't rationalise those thoughts because all you hear is cancer. And um, obviously, you know, very emotional crying. Uh, my family uh, both had hold of my hands. We're going to get through this together. Um, but we didn't know what I was dealing with. I had to come back for more uh, for biopsy results on the Thursday. Then I'd have to wait two weeks for them to be uh, to come back. So those first two weeks were horrific. I uh, I remember coming home um, that night. I was lying in bed, and my daughter was asleep next to me. And I just had to, uh, had hold of her. Please don't take me away from my little girl. I kept thinking she's not ready. She needs a mum, and I'm not ready to go. Just let it be okay. And uh, and in the back of my mind, I did I did think no, I've got this early. I know I have. I didn't have the month last month. Uh, the lump a couple of months ago this is very very new but still you need those biopsy results to see what you're dealing with um once they'd come back um i went to see the surgeon i was already prepared for the mastectomy and i just grabbed all the lee's hands and i said please lee i don't, I don't want to die anymore well hopefully it won't have come back in two years i meant five years and i went right okay and you again you can't you can't rationalise. And I, I think I was just on autopilot as well. You're in fear. It's like, the, you know, when you, you you stood still, like in a film, you stood still mm. in the middle of somewhere and then you've got just people swooshing by you constantly, you know, like a, at a high speed. 
that's what it was like yeah. for me for those two weeks building up to to go for the results um and being sitting with the surgeon my head was just constantly spinning i was that i was just to- in total fear of you know what the future was going to hold for me um obviously I had my daughter to think about you know you can see the fear your parents are in me that me both parents have, have gone through cancer themselves my mum had cervical cancer at 38 she had a radical hysterectomy she's now in her 60s my dad's had uh, prostate cancer um but this is all being shared in the book which we'll discuss a bit later um mm-hmm. yeah so by that this was on the, I think it was the Wednesday, I seen the surgeon and by the Monday I was having me, uh, I was going in to have my breast removed. So within the space of three weeks, it was just bang, 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 bang. And that was it. You don't have much time to think about what, what you're actually going to go through um, in that process. I remember going back because I still went to work before my um, biopsy, well, whilst I was waiting for my biopsy results. And um, I don't even think I've done much. All I used to say to people is, hey, I've got cancer, you know. I must have sounded nuts. I, I really must have. And they were going, um, what? And, I, you know, obviously I work in the health sector and, and people were going, they were crying. And I'm thinking, what are you crying for? And they're going, Danielle, we realise what you're going to be going through. And by this point, I didn't know if I was going to have chemo. It was highly likely because of my age. Uh, but that was, I wasn't um, told that till the December. Um so yeah, I had the mastectomy. I, I was prepared for that from my two of my aunties have both had breast cancer. So one of them had had um, a mastectomy and just had tamoxifen, which is the it puts a coating around your estrogen cells, and the other one had had chemo. So I was prepared both times really. My auntie Karen said to me, "You're gonna when you wake up, you will have something there. You won't be completely flat chested." Fortunately for me, I, I've not. I don't have large breasts, so you know. It, it wasn't going to be the bigger culture shock to compared to some women. But um, once I'd, uh, I ended up on uh, the Sefton suite in the hospital and, uh, you know, when I'd woken up from the surgery, I'd just looked straight ahead, at, yeah, straight away at the, the breast and I was just like, oh, okay, then I can deal with that. That's not too bad. And I was okay at this point. Um, I was in good spirits, you know, got a fantastic family, very supportive, all very close. Um, and obviously I had Holly to keep me going as well. Um, telling her though about that was tough, but she, she handled it pretty well. She was only seven at the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, But when I told her, because what I said to Holly was, mummy's got a sick booby and the doctor's going to have to remove it. That's how I told Holly. And she was like, okay, mummy, I'll look after you with her. Um, but yeah, uh, I had to do a lot of exercises, but by this point I still didn't know if I'd need chemotherapy but I knew chemotherapy could stop you from having children so um, I had to go through egg retrieval process so that was all through the um, November and December I went through that Uh, by the 28th of December I was told that I'd uh, benefit from chemotherapy so I started that on uh, in January 2019 but that was the biggest fear for me because of, I knew I was going to lose my hair and I had a long dark hair and I you know people that know Danielle Danielle wears a makeup and has a hair done that's just me you know that's my signature <laughs> so that <laughs> yeah so that was hard to, to rationalize really um and you can never picture yourself with no hair um, I no remember, I don't suppose you can no no and I remember my first visit to the cancer center 
you know, before when we were going to discuss treatment. And you see in other people, no hair, no eyelashes, no makeup, and I and it's it's very alien looking. I and I don't mean that in a in a in a derogatory way about anyone, but mm. <clears throat> it was awful to to look at when you haven't when you're not at that stage. Mm. And I had a lot and of what was emotionally. Where did that take you then? I I was really bad anxiety, um, tears. Um, just I was just in constant fear, and I was from even just this. I knew once my surgery had happened, I didn't have cancer because I'd got it at stage one. Um, so the chemo for me was just more belt and braces, but I didn't require any other scans around the body. So it was very hard to rationalise that there was no cancer elsewhere in the body because I said, "Well, how do you know it's not anywhere?" And they went, "We know we've got it early, but for for my." Um, a state of mind I would have liked to have had a full body scan just to put me at put me at ease, but they just don't do that. Um and they know that the team, you know, they, they hadn't gone to the lymph nodes or anything. <clears throat> but the cancer centre was the worst because you're going in there and there's people really fighting for their life. And you're sitting there thinking, Oh my God, why am I stuck in here with these people? You know, I haven't got cancer now, why am I here? Mm. And I was just my whole body was just constantly shaking, you know, and you, you can't, you can't live your normal day-to-day life. You, 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 it's just such a surreal experience when you, from diagnosis to going through treatment, it, it, nothing will ever prepare you for that. Nothing, especially as a young woman as well, because I didn't see anyone younger. It was always older people in the 50s, 60s. So that was creating more, anxiety for me and I'm thinking well I'm 35 my cancer could come back at any time and I I don't want to die at a young age you know I've got so much more in life in me um and then luckily I did meet two beautiful girls through treatment and you know the more or less my age one was a little younger one was a little older so that was easier to to be around and um, they, they do have a lot of um places out there for support um, Marina Daglish has got um, a place called Larks um, and that was just your getaway really you know you could take your wigs off you could um, just have uh, holistic therapies and that was a great thing to do but it was for me I felt very victimised then so it, it wasn't something that I would have stayed um, visiting I, I couldn't have done that I wanted me you know once I was done I was done I'm probably going tell to me about too that far. then that feeling victimised. What was it? Because because you just um, there's people that are the secondary cancers, um, so they you know their lifespan shorter. Um, I didn't have cancer when I was going to there, so I felt I just felt like a cancer victim, and I wasn't. Um, I don't even know how else to answer that. You know, I just well, that's, no, that, 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 I think that's. That's good enough, that answer. Yeah. I think it shows, I suppose what's interesting for me is listening to the, the I mean, quite a, a rapid and turbulent journey from from moment you find the, the lump to then getting in to see the, the specialist and a consultant yeah. and three weeks having the breast removed and it, it accelerates. The pace is extremely rapid. Yeah. Um, and the mindset shifts during that process. And as you say, you get to that point where, 
you're cancer free as such you've you've got the sign off in in terms of there's there's no other signs of cancer in the body and you now shift to focus on getting fit again getting back living life again yeah um, and want to move away from what you'd just been through yeah no also because you you don't I didn't as I said I didn't look like Danielle I mean I mean it was a me my younger brother Craig got me through the hair loss part I'll just go back to this part of it but he um he used to call me Grant Mitchell, so when I had no, when I lost all my hair, and it, so that got me through a lot of it. Siblings are sometimes the best icebreakers. <laughs> Honest to God, it was brilliant. He, um, I remember him saying to me, Danielle, don't look at yourself in the mirror and go, oh my God, I'm losing my hair. He went, look and go, how oh, the hell have I ended up with a bald head? And, you know, just shifting your mindset like from, you know, crying you know, looking at yourself in the mirror to, oh my God, how have I ended up with a baldy head? And, and not looking, just looking at yourself in that respect, it helps massively, you know. And it mm. really did. So, Craig, from my first chemotherapy, you know, obviously I felt really poorly. I had three of those, um, the, the red devil, they call it. And, you know, for the first 10 days, I felt absolutely horrific and, you know, feeling sorry for myself. And our Craig went, no, I'm not having this. He went, get yourself up. He went, I'm coming to pick it up with Ali. I went, we're going out for a walk. So I was like, all right. That was the best thing he did. So that's when I started going out for my walks and things. But obviously, through I, I ended up on a weekly chemotherapy. So I had nine of them. So in total, I had 12. And mm. uh, the steroids, yeah, you're having steroids with this, so obviously you're starting to get bigger. So I must have gained about two stone with a bald head. So yeah, it did look like Grant Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> um, yeah, I just didn't want to. I hated the way I looked and felt because obviously you look at social media and you see p- picture perfect. But what is picture perfect? You know, you're a young woman who's lost your your looks to a sense. And then you're seeing models on the t- I am on the on social media, slim bodies, just looking happy, and you're in a in a really low place because you don't know what the future's going to hold for you, and you don't look like you. You know, people moan about the slightest things. Don't be. I used to hate it when um, I'd speak to people and they go, "Oh, my hair's doing me head," and I go, "I wish I had it," you know. <laughs> Um, people are quite insensitive, aren't they? And we don't. I mean, I've done it myself. You post the perfect picture of yourself, and you're not you're not taking into account other people and what they what they're going through, their traumas. You know, um, losing a body part. I've lost that part, and um, you know, big part of being a woman. Your, your breast. So um, yeah, that was hard. So then I just ended up getting uh, back into fitness. So that was went back to the gym three weeks post chemo. You know, I was chasing wow. for normality. Yeah. I'm bearing in mind I couldn't get myself off the floor after chemotherapy. I, you know, I was daft, my body was daft fatigued. Um, and it no one prepares you for that either. Because I remember going to see my surgeon after the treatment and I said to him, I went, Lee, I'm so fatigued. I've got peripheral neuropathy, which is numbness of the fingers and toes. So it's nerve damage, uh, what the chemotherapy can cause. And I had really bad pains in my hands and feet. So standing for long periods of time, I couldn't do. Um, and Lee went, you know, the best thing is uh, exercise. And I went, really? He went, yeah. I went, right, that's it. I went, can, when can I go to the gym? He went in three weeks. I went, perfect. That's fine. But going back and going back to the gym, it was the gym that I went to before me cancer. So I knew a lot of people there. People, Some people didn't know what I'd gone through. So you get the look then, don't you? The pity look. 
and um, then I felt like I had to explain myself constantly. So I wasn't, I, I wasn't able to get away from the cancer and talking about the cancer. It was just, um, you're just constantly reliving it. And I don't think that's a great way to move forward when you're doing that. How do you, how do we sort of manage that then? I suppose, interesting, I, I just jotted that down, the pity look, because I suppose, yeah. you know, like you say, the, for, for yourself, the individuals that have gone through such a traumatic experience, yeah. And, you know, visually looking different, whether it be weight gain, hair loss. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for people are going to be interested to some extent. Yeah. Um, how do we manage or how did you manage that situation? Uh, I just, I could tell by the faces. You know, I know a lot of people around Liverpool and um, the faces would drop. And I'd go, yeah, I've had cancer. But I'm very open and honest anyway um I'm not shy I will you know I just say how it is um and the, like if I'd have my head scarf on I go yeah I lost my head I've just I'm on chemotherapy at the moment or I've just finished my cancer treatment and like, oh I didn't know and I'm thinking well you did because I can tell by the way you're looking at me I wouldn't have put mm. them in that situation but um people can't help who they are can they I mean what what done it for me more was when I, when I went back to work and, you know, you're working in a health service and there was a couple of staff members that had, um, you know, obviously the, the before I'd gone off, I had long dark hair. When I come back, I had very little hair on my head and they'd be like, oh my God, what have you done to your head? Why so drastic? And I was just like, oh, no. really? And I, I'd, like, I'd start crying, walking away. At first I'd say, oh, I've had a Britney Spears moment. I'd just shave my hair off. And then I'd take a step back and then I'd, I, you know, I really, really hurt. Even from diagnosis though, I'd have, you know, when I was telling people, they'd be going, oh, such and such had that, you know, but dead now. And I'd be like, what? They'd go, yeah, to come back. And I'd be like, <laughs> people don't realise the words and how that can mm. affect you um, and, and what that can create for that person going through the cancer. Because, and that's all in my book as well, because, you know, I didn't, when I was back in work before I knew what I was dealing with, um, yeah, I didn't know how how aggressive the cancer was or anything, so I didn't want to hear those horror stories. And I remember my mum talking to the late she worked for him, the surgeon, and she went, "Oh, people are saying these to him," and, and he went, "But people are not talking about all the positives to this, you know." Yeah, there is people that are unfortunate enough to to survive this, but there's a lot of people that are surviving cancer now, and it's not that death mm. sentence. And that's a message that I want to get across to people. And what you put in your mind, you put in your body. As I said earlier on, Ertia, I was highly stressed and my mind wasn't at ease. My body's not at ease. So whatever I'm putting in my mind, I was putting that disease in my body. That's what I believe for me. And I believe I went through this because to stop my thought process the way it was. I was constantly worrying and and rushing around and my family were going, Danielle, will you just chill out you, you don't relax and I was like just leave me alone I couldn't I didn't know how to but I was chasing for who Danielle was as well you know I was in a relationship which wasn't healthy and um, he was quite unkind and I was constantly on edge with him and I knew that was the big breaker for me when I had to, to move on from that relationship as well so I had a lot going on to try and cover up that part of my life do you know what I mean mm, mm. I mean I I almost feel it feels ridiculous asking the question, but um, 
and I don't want to make the assumption, so I will ask the question. But you know, when you when you look at Danielle pre-diagnosis to to Danielle now, um, do you approach life differently? Oh, massively, massively. It took me about a year to actually come to terms with cancer. Um, you know, obviously, I was back in the gym. As I said, three weeks post chemo, I was back in work. Six weeks post chemo, I went into a new role in the in the in in the um, when I went back, which was patient engagement, and that was uh, basically being a patient advocate. So I would go and introduce myself to them, and there was about four or five patients that I was dealing with who had terminal cancer, and I, I hadn't even come to terms with what I'd just gone through. And straight away when they'd be like home terminal, that would I would go into panic mode. Oh, what if mine's okay. coming back and I'm gonna end up like you? It, it was all too soon, all too soon. But then when I went to see me breast nurse, Donna, I ran over to her in the clinic and I was going, Donna, I can't cope. And she went, Right, sit down. She went, Your brain hasn't caught up with what your body's just gone through. And so I was still that old Danielle in constant fear. Um, anxiety, mm. worrying, just stressed. Uh, and I, you know, I just completed a loads of treatment. So um, I'd had my reconstruction surgery. Still wasn't feeling great, but I needed that month off. Then I, um, by the January this year, I ended up with a chest infection and pleurisy. I was then sent. I was in A and E. Had to go home. I was off for seven weeks. Then COVID happened. For me, that was my recovery, and that was for me to. Um, to rationalise the whole everything that I've gone through and start writing. Well, I was I started writing my book in October, I think it was last year. Um, so that was my way to heal: getting it all on paper, seeing it all, going through the emotions, crying whilst I was writing, um, and all that has served me well because I am now a new Danielle. I'm Danielle who's positive. I'm Danielle who's got a, a living a healthier lifestyle. I'm Danielle who's just left my 16-year relationship. I don't need anyone. I'm quite happy doing what I do. I've got my daughter. I've got goals that I'd set for myself and I know I'm going to set more. I have always been goal-orientated, but Danielle pre-cancer was very much stressful, Danielle. Not happy. Didn't know what I wanted in life. I, you know, I'd had a breakdown in 2013. Excuse me, and um, I remember having psychology, and I said to the psychologist, "I don't know who I am. I am. I'm a mum. I'm a stepmom. I'm a partner. But I done everything for those people. I didn't do anything for me. So now I've probably gone a little bit more selfish. Obviously, Holly's my first priority, but yeah, I am more selfish, and I, you know, I'm not as much as of a yes person to what I used to be." because I couldn't say mm. no to anyone. I didn't want to upset anyone. So, yeah, I am a completely... I, I'm shocked by the way I am. Even just um, moving away from my relationship, I'm happy. I feel happy in myself, and I'm excited for the future, where I, I've never had that feeling before. Um, I, yeah, And even my fitness, you know, I've been training five times a week. I work. I train with two military guys, um, and I have another cross, um, CrossFit and strength and conditioning trainer. She's fantastic. Um, and me, just my fitness levels are a, are, a, are a different level now compared to training three weeks post chemo, you know, going up um, for months ahead. You know, I, I was just so fatigued and I, I needed that recovery time and I knew I didn't give myself it because you're chasing for normality. You know, you're, you're away from that and you we all moan about it, don't we? You know, oh, I've had enough of this or whatever. But when you're out of that kind of 
um, momentum of life. It's very difficult to, to, what am I trying to say? It was just hard being in the cancer road to, to normal life. I, I wanted normal life, not the cancer road, but I needed mm. recovery. But I couldn't because I was too busy thinking, overthinking everything I'd gone through. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And I think it. I think you put it so perfectly well. You know, speaking to others, and and um, I had the opportunity to to spend time with um, a, uh, a, a consultant surgeon last week, and and uh, we discussed the um, you know the the journey for patients that he's working with a, a lot like yeah. yourself and and how you know when an individual comes that close to or, or comes that close to to the, the dichotomy the binary existence of, of life or death that their mortality is brought into focus so much more yeah. it's so much sharper and then all of a sudden we begin to make choices for us and you know what for me hearing you say that you've become more selfish is 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 fantastic honestly because I think that you know for listeners of the show they know that I advocate and I push heavily the importance of healthy selfishness and how we have to prioritize self we have to adopt that sort of mother Teresa approach yeah you know she would feed herself first before she fed the poor you know and in times of crisis or you know when we're really struggling we've we've got to we've got to look after ourselves and that's not you know the distinction between healthy selfishness and unhealthy selfishness Mm -hmm. is that of not you know it's not in spite of others you know we're not it's not actions at the expense of others which would be unhealthy selfishness it's just about saying you know what do I need what do I need to nourish myself what do I need Mm -hmm. to feed myself what do I need to look after myself and and you know it's wonderful to hear that that's what you're doing now yeah I needed it though to be honest James I was you know I don't want to be the Daniela was before cancer I'm a new person and I've always been a strong minded girl. I've always, you know, I, I, I'm, I get told I'm the Bodicea from the spiritual healer to say, he said, you're Bodicea. That's why you went through this because you're going to help other people. That's why you're writing a book and stuff. Um, mm. I didn't even know who Bodicea was, to be honest. I had to read <laughs> up on it and I went, yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I can't even remember what I was saying now. Do you know what? I do apologize because of, um, I was put into the therapeutic menopause. We were talking about healthy selfishness, weren't we? And, and, and yes. things, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, it's even, you know, my mum was really worried about me because I, I was a nightmare. Well, you know, I, I would just done everything for everyone else. And, you know, that didn't serve me well. I know it was proven now because I'm the one who's lost my breast. I'm the one that had to go and lo- go through losing my hair. I'm the one that had to go through all those emotions. And I thought, well, no one else did. And I've done everything for everyone else, and so no one cares what I'm feeling and how. Not, and I don't mean that in a in a in a nasty way, and I hope it doesn't come mm. across like that. But we're all selfish, aren't we, in our own way? And we all want so much of people and stuff. And I just couldn't. I'm sorry, I've got my door open. You can probably hear the cockerel. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I just. I just needed to take stock of my life and Holly needs a mum. Holly doesn't need anyone else looking after her. So that's when I really started to take stock and go, right, okay, what is making you unhappy in your life? And I made so many changes and the small changes I started to make was um, 
leaving the gym I was in, as I said, I went there and I felt like I had to explain myself constantly to people and I wanted to get away. I needed a new life. So I ended up going to a different gym. It's smaller. It's in a um, like a warehouse. It's a lot quieter. Um, it's just completely different kind of training as well. And I knew mm. from, you know, as I've told you, I want, I want to be a contestant on SAS Who Dares Wins. Um, so that was my focus then to get me to uh, to get that strength back in me, to get me fitness up uh, to speed. And that small change, I felt just, I felt really happy just by doing that. So, slowly, so there was, yeah, there was physical changes as well as in terms of making these choices to go to a new gym, to do things differently. So new surroundings then add to, I was going to say the new you, but yeah, it's the new me. Yeah. Why do you think then that we are, because you know, your kindness, your compassion, you know, we've spoken many times off air, um, being there for others, obviously being there for Holly as well. Um, you're very loving and giving those qualities and traits have not changed within you, but you're more protective of those and you're more aware of who you give to and how much you give away. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, I, I believe in energies, so whether they're negative or positive. Now, if there's been a lot of negativity in my life, I will really feed off that and I'll hold it in. And then I end up with pains in my chest. I end up with the anxiety and I've shut I've cut people off as well um, because it's not serving me well. And as I said, Holly needs a mum. She doesn't need anyone else. So my health and my is more important to my mindset to, because I want to condition Holly to have a positive mindset, to have a positive life, to mm. not let others affect her mood. And, and that's what I was doing, to be honest. You know, people were going through a lot of traumas and I'd still be there for those people, but I would be more protective of myself through that. Um, mm. Where I would just, I'd just be there, you know, 24-7 at the end of the phone. I wasn't getting any respite from anything. You know, training as a counsellor as well. It just, for someone like me, I'm a typical Cancerian, highly emotional, you know, it's the water sign, isn't it? So Mm. I do soak it all up and I will really feel for people where it will, you know, if someone's going through a trauma, I'll sit crying with them. And all that just, it's not good for my body now. And I've got to look after me, my body, because Holly, as I said, just needs her mum there. and And I've shut off a lot of negativity so people that just want to moan and groan over the slightest thing it, it's it's irrelevant in my life now I think well mm. I've had a life-threatening illness I'm not gonna put that on me because I want my life to be a lot more positive now if I'm not positive Holly's not positive she'll feed off my energy and I need her to I, I want her to be the best version of herself that's what I'm with. I've been working with um, um, Andy Roberts. He's a, a AJ Roberts coaching. He's fantastic. Mm. He's an ex army veteran. And he helped me a lot through my recovery with um, being my life coach. And I learned so much from him um, and the way he looked at life and, and things. I mean, he's training me up to be a life coach now. And I just, yeah, it just, it all starts with happiness, does start with you, though, doesn't it? And if you're not happy in yourself, how are you going to be happy in your own life? Well, it does. And I think, you know, look, really, the, the headline statement that, that jumps out at me in this first part of the show is what you put in your mind, you put in your body. I think that 
you know, I've scribbled that down because uh, what a, what a fantastic sort of statement, really, um, that <clears throat> there's such a union between our, our mind and our body that we have to be mindful of both. And we just, we, you know, we we tend to be much better creatures at triaging sort of physical pain uh, mm. and addressing issues there. Uh, we're not particularly great at the emotional aspect or the emotional side of things. And so... Yeah. And, and in our defense, sometimes, you know, because it's the great unseen, it can it can bleed in, it can leak into us without us even knowing. So we can be caught off guard sometimes, but we've got to maintain a level of awareness, a yeah. constant state of awareness, not yeah. vi- hypervigilance, but certainly awareness that enables us to to know where we're at in life. Yeah. Um, Daniel, I'm I'm so engrossed in the conversation. I'm, I'm, we must get to your first song choice. It's, it's terrible of me. I, I, we we will go to that first song choice, and we will uh, we will chat about it. We'll have a discussion about it after this. But I think this song is very apt. Uh, stick with us here on the Happiness Algorithm. Uh, I'm James Rose. My special guest today is Danielle McDermott, and this is her first song choice.
Phoenix FM. Welcome back to the Happiness Algorithm with me, James Roast. I'm joined by uh, my very special guest today, NHS worker, radio presenter, and soon to be published author, Danielle McDermott. And that was her first song choice. That was just stand up by various amazing artists um, that, uh, that that produced, wrote, and uh, put that song out, Stand Up for Cancer. Danielle, that couldn't be more wrapped, that song, really. It couldn't. Do you know the words just got me? You know, when I was diagnosed, I used to listen to the song over and over again, and I'd listen to the words, and part of it was like, you know, the heart is stronger um, than you think, and it is. You're finding inner strength in yourself when you're going through adverse times, and... I just, that got me, every time I'd listen to it, I'd have a good cry and I'd go, no, you know what, I can do this, I can get through it. You know, I, I've had something through it. We all have crap in our lives, excuse the language, but um, it's how we choose to le- to live with it and or move on from it. And yeah, it, it, again, it's all about that inner strength uh, and we all get, you, you, you do overcome it. Yeah, well, it's as you you say that the the lyrics and and the words in it are so powerful. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I was listening to it there. There's there's a line that says you don't have to be a prisoner of your own mind. I had that I one. Thought, <laughs> I was going to wow. say that to you, isn't it? Yeah. Now, isn't it? You yeah. know, we are. We sometimes, and that was me. That was Danielle. I was a prisoner in my own mind because before cancer, and then even going through the cancer, I was. You know, I couldn't get out of my mindset, and you need to to find that strength again to, to get out of there and start why do we put negative thoughts into our into our mind? Why don't we constantly have positive thoughts? You know, so if I'm spending a lot of my time thinking negatively, well why aren't I spending my time thinking po- positively and bringing that to me? Because whatever you put mm. in your mind you're bringing into your life as well. Well said. Well mm. said. Well they, they, before the break there we 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 took a sort of uh well, we took a journey through the the stage of diagnosis, uh, through procedures, recovery, and and then almost rebuilding. Really, mm-hmm. there was a couple of points you said, and I, I really wanted to revisit, if we may, about obviously three weeks after diagnosis, uh, you then have your breast removed, and then further down the line, you you start chemo and you start losing your hair. <laughs> When you spoke about it, it was almost as if it was the hair loss that had more of an impact than losing the breast. Yeah, it was. It was my hair because that's what people see straight away. When they come right. to, towards me, It's that, that that's the first thing, isn't it? No one sees my breasts. So I was able to cope with that at, um, at that point um, better than the hair loss um, because, you know... It, you look you just don't look like you and I, I you know I am very I can be very girly and I can be very tomboyish but I'm a lot more girly um I like to look nice I like to feel nice and you know it's your mask I think you know everything everything that I've gone through over the last few years that all that was my mask anyway you know I'd still put mm. the smile on my face even though I was hurting internally I was able to just do my hair and my makeup and that had gone for me uh, although I, well, mm. I did wear makeup through me um through my treatments and stuff, you know, even when I lost my hair. So, I, you know, I made the best I could of myself. I always looked well. Um, 
it's just, yeah, it's a big part of being a woman, I think. I mean, some women are brave and they will just shave the hair anyway, but I'm not that type of woman. I, I'm a woman that likes long hair. Um, mm. I've got a twin sister as well, and I used to ask Craig, go, Ada, are you going to shave your hair with this? You know, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, my hair doesn't grow as quick. And that was just like, oh, Haley's always go mad at me. She'd be like, look at your hair, it's gorgeous. So it's longer than mine is, never grew as quick as what I minded. Uh, so, yeah, that that was... <laughs> you know, Haley, she'd not, she'd never shave it, <laughs> and I went. I wouldn't let you anyway. <laughs> so, talking about the family, obviously, you, you touched on earlier. You were with your aunt and your mum during those early stages, and Craig, obviously, had been such a support and a rock, and yeah. you know, a, well, a bedrock of humour, really. Yeah. Um, since you know, more recently, have you have you spoken to the impacts that? it had on family members and how they were going through it and how they perhaps didn't want to show their emotions in front of you. What, what was it? How was it like for Do them? Do you know what? I remember um, when I was in the clinic room and, you know, I'd just been diagnosed and my twin sister was phoning me phone constantly and my auntie ended up taking the call. And uh, when I spoke to our Haley that night, that because uh, I went over to my mum and dad's that evening and um, our Haley said she'd cried and she is not emotional at all. I've got all the emotion with me and her. She's pretty hard on the outside. And uh, I, she, she said when she put the phone down, she just, she burst into tears. And I went, what? You cried? I was loving it. I thought, you don't cry Anna. <laughs> and I've got you crying in it's right. Scouse human, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, but my mum was just crying you know she's typed letters up of women obviously she wouldn't discuss that but obviously she knows she's typed you know mm. she knows the 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 severity of what breast cancer can be it can take it can kill you depending on what type you have so mm. um i remember my mum telling me dad going into the she was in the kitchen talking to him about what had been said and um i walked in and my mum was just in balls of tears and i gave me dad a hug and he went don't mope around. I went to my dad because my dad's just not like that. He's he's gone through a lot of health um, things. My dad he's had um, a double heart bypass at the age of forty eight. He's had bilateral knee replacements. He's had prostate cancer and he had this aortic aneurysm repaired when I was undergoing chemotherapy. And uh, even just writing the book though with my dad, I said you know. I said, I was on the phone to my dad asking him stuff about his uh, you know his health setbacks and stuff, and I said, "How did you overcome it, Dad?" And he went, well, I goal set. He said, I've taught, you know, he's got a degree in sports science. And he said, I, I knew goal setting was the way forward. So I was like, my I went, oh my God, Dad, I am your daughter. You know, that was, that's probably a bit later on. I've got a bit off course now. Um, yeah, so they were all very upbeat for me. You know, they were all devastated um, and felt sick because we are very close, even with my sister-in-laws. We're all like a really, really close family. So that was, but once... When I was told I had the can, um, when I had the biopsy results and stuff, when I spoke to Donna, my nurse, she said, you know, I'd had it, I was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma, which is the most common. Around eighty percent of women worldwide will be diagnosed with that type of cancer, and I had a grade two. So you'll have a grade one, which is um, a slow, really slow growing, grade two, which is intermediate, or a grade three, which is um, fast growing, and I had a grade two. So Donna went, it's okay, it's not aggressive. And I went, oh, I can deal with that, you know, and the family were able to calm down with that as well. We were like, mm. okay, no, we're going to be okay. You know, people live with 30, live for 30 on, oh, gee, 
odd years with that type of cancer. Yeah, you know, when they've had that type of cancer, your life, you know, you can have a long prognosis. It's an excellent prognosis, mm. to be fair. So I think when you know that, if you've got that statistic, you will go now, I will look and go, well, hang on, I've got 90% chance here of this not coming back in 10 years. I will take that any day to someone who's been diagnosed with a high-risk cancer where, they, where that can come back within five years. So you count your blessings, don't you? And my family are very, you know, as I said, my mum and dad have both gone through cancer. My mum was doing her um, AMSPA, which is medical secretary course, when she was diagnosed with their cancer. She was she went back to college three um, six weeks after a major surgery, and it was major in them days. The hysterectomy. She passed all her exams with flying colours. So my mum, I went, mum, how did you deal with it? And she went, I just let it go. I didn't have it. So they said they could cure me. So I've got it. I'll let it go. The same to my dad. They said, we think we can cure you. He let it go once his treatments have finished. He had radiotherapy, my dad. Um, so they're not. my family are not people that will dwell on stuff. I I was that person. But my family are not like that. We're all, we're all positive people. Um, so... Yeah, no one. After all the treatment finished and that, everyone was just like, "I'm dead proud of you how you've handled it." Everyone, we were all, we got on, we got on with it. Well, I, it, it took me a year to get on with it, but yeah, um, having them around helped a lot. Well, it's. Uh, I mean, you're you're hardcore. A lot of you. I mean, I you've been through so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, you know that. You know, obviously, uh, dad's background, you say, the sports science there, so there's an element of goal setting and mum's level of resilience as well. I said at the top of the show that it was going to be a show talking resilience, bravery, hope, etc. Um, but, but you, you know, you clearly come from good stock. Um, yeah. But you say there was a, it, you wasn't necessarily being you beforehand, but now you feel as though you're being the best version of you, the, the new Danielle was such. But yeah. all of those good base quality trace elements are now there in abundance and working for you. Yeah, massively. I mean, when I, you know, once I got to the age of 15, I'll just take it back to my younger days. Mm. I was confident. Um, didn't care. Just, you know, I was just, everyone knew who Danielle was. It was in your face, you know, loud, strong, independent. Uh, met Holly's dad uh, at the age of 20 and all that confidence went. And it went for, I was with him for 16 years and, you know, that strength wasn't there. And it was, People can condition you in certain ways when they get into your mind. It was mental abuse. It was. And um, from 20s, very young, isn't it? You're young and naive. Unfortunately, we can't put old an old head on young shoulders. that right? Yeah, on young shoulders. Yeah, I've said that right. Yeah, I? yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and whatever her dad said went, you know, I had him on a pedestal. You know, I was quite, you're very impressionable with, you know, with, he was older, 12 years older and stuff like that. And, you know, I just lost myself and I didn't think I was strong until I went through this and that strength come back. And then, you know, writing the book and writing about my mum and dad um, and the fam- and my, um, extended family members were all, you know, I've got two big sides of the family, you know, a lot um, loads of cousins were all very, very close. We're all very strong. And it was moving away from uh, my daughter's dad. I was able to get that back and what what I'd lost for for so long so I knew I was strong I just was in the wrong environment to 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 grow again and I've made my environment more pleasurable 
Um, and now I can look and go, no, do you know what? You are a strong girl. You can, you know, you've gone through, you've lost your breast, you lost your hair, you got rid of your relationship, what you were unhappy in. And you, you're doing it because all those fears I had of doing it on my own because of, of the fear of being alone. And a lot of us do that. We stay in unhappy relationships because of that fear. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm unhappy now when I've had cancer. So I'd rather be happy without cancer and living the best life I can live. And that's how I'm looking at myself now. And I've, I've very rarely cried over over it to be honest if i have cried my brother craig again i've got two brothers but our craig's just the um joker of the family mm-hmm. and he was just like no Danielle, he went you've done the best thing you went keep moving forward he went because you are you were all dead proud of you and how far you've come so i'm just yeah I, it, there's no looking back anymore for me it's all it's all about moving forward and you know it's only you who can change your life. It all again. It all starts with you. I'm not going to sit there feeling sorry for myself. I was unhappy, and I'm making changes. You know, I'm. I, mean, I don't even know what I, I should be saying this on air, but I don't want to stay in the hospital uh, either. You know, I want to move away. I, I believe hospitals are more negative environments. There's a lot of sickness there, and because I had all my treatment there, I've been struggling mentally in the hospital. So now it's for me to start moving away from that and taking a different, a completely different life, which I wanted. So, you know, I mo- started off with uh, moving gyms. I've left my relationship and my next move is, me, is, me, is moving away from the hospital, to be honest. Mm. Mm. Well, look, such change. And, you know, as, as, as you pointed out, you know, change can all, you know, it comes from us. The choices that we make has to come from within us. And, um, and you said there, you know, it's, it often is about the relation, sorry, not the relationship as such, but the environment we find ourselves. And, yeah. you know, in context of relationships, if the environment is not nourishing or nurturing us, mm. um, it does go against the grain. I suppose we, we are, there, there, there are primitive aspects of our existence that the fact that we're social creatures and what underpins our existence is relationship. There's that primitive aspect that our brain says we mustn't end the relationship, but actually if it's not serving us in the way that we deserve, then, yeah. you know, we must, we must, we must find that confidence, courage and bravery to walk away. Um, yeah. which you have done. And, and as you say, and, and with the support of family again and the humor of Craig as well, that, that it's enabled you to be that happier version of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I needed that, I, you know, I wasn't at ease. My whole mind wasn't at ease a couple of years ago. I was in such turmoil and just, I, I wasn't growing, you know, I was trying to grow, but, I couldn't, you know, as you know, doing the the two diplomas, um, trying to change my life, but I couldn't make those changes because of the environment I was living in. And when you've got that negativity around you, you're not bring, you're bringing negativity into your life constantly. So I needed to to get rid of it all, and that's why I want to make I want a new life. I've got my daughter, and I want her to look and go look what my mum's achieved there. You know, she was unhappy. She's gone through cancer, but she's she's done things that to make her happy. And I know it's been difficult for Holly um, the last few months, but I'm doing this for her as well because if she's witnessed her dad not being quite nice to me, you know, shouting and stuff, then what's she going to bring into her life? Does she She's going to look and think, well, that's it. If, if my mum's accepting it, then I'll accept it because that's just what you do. Years ago, women just stayed in relationships because when you were married, you, you had kids and that was it. That was your life. 
that's not what life's about. Life's about making the most of it and enjoying it and making those precious memories. And I don't want Holly's memories to be of mummy crying on the couch because her daddy's not being very nice to her. I want her to look and go, do you know what? Me and my mum had an absolute ball. We've just, we've done this, we've done that. She's got all those memories to look back on and go, do you know what? She made the best of my life and my younger life for me because I had it with my family. I'm dead lucky. My mum and dad still took about 42 years on and it, we've had a happy childhood. So I don't know why I chose that kind of life for myself when, but I was a, at such a young age. And um, I just want Holly to to have a positive environment and to find to, to understand her own mind and her and what she wants in life and not to to live through someone else, live for you and you'll attract that person towards you and you will live that full you'll have that fulfillment in your life. That's what I want mm. for her and that's what I want mm. for me. So I'm I'm you know, I'm I'm just I'm at the start of my life now. I've been given a second chance and I don't intend on wasting it. Um, and I know good things are going to come. I can feel it. I, I'm so, you know, it's, it's mad. I went to see a spiritual healer. who's now a friend of mine through, um, whilst I was on chemotherapy. And I said, I want to write a book. He went, we'll do it. He went, but go towards the radio. And I was like, all right, okay. Cut a long story short. I ended up on a podcast and it had over 50,000 downloads in 24 hours. I was then asked to go on Expat Radio, which covers 110 countries. I went on there. I've now got my own radio show worldwide. And I was just like, this is so weird. He said to me, Rolo's telling me to tell you to put illustrate, that is spiritual guide, put illustrations in the book. And I was like, oh my God, I was going to put my breasts in and my wigs. He went, do it because this is going to be big stuff. He went, America's coming into it. He went, I can see the Statue of Liberty. So I contacted the uh, the publisher. I'm going international with the book, and the my publisher is American, and her friend died of breast cancer, and she went right through the journey, and she went, "You are going to help so many people along this journey, and I'm going to make sure this book gets out worldwide." Weird. Wow, that isn't is that powerful. Well, look, I think we should uh, let, let's go into your second song choice. And when we come into the, the third and final part of the show, I want to talk all things bald, brave and bloody beautiful. I want to talk more <laughs> about that book. And um, because we do have um, and we do know when it will be released later this year. So we're going to talk about release dates. We're going to talk about the content, the illustrations, the journey, the highs, the lows, the tears that, that went with it as well and the writing process, yeah. uh, you know, and how you found it. So <clears throat> stick with us here on the happiness algorithm. I'm James Rose. My special guest today is Danielle McDermott. Um, we'll be back after this break. Uh, this is Danielle's second song choice. You the way you left me out here on the floor. You didn't care. You're still the one that I adore. You gave me something that nobody did before.
Welcome back to the Happiness Algorithm with me, James Roast. Uh, that was my guest, my special guest, Danielle McDermott's second song choice. That was Jack Jones all day and all night. And I apologise for not... I was delayed putting the mic back up, mics back up there. I was I was really having it. I was, my shoulders were going and everything. <laughs> I was uh, dancing I was as really, well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a great song choice. Yeah, and I, I love it. It's a good song. One of the words are quite powerful to me. You know, it's uh, mm. falling in love with the wrong person and, you know, you break your own heart for loving them. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, great song, great song. Then <laughs> uh, we might, obviously, we've we've shared, uh, we, well, really, you know what, look, we could spend so many hours taking such a deeper dive into, into the st- uh, story and the emotions and how turbulent it was through that process. But the one thing that comes out, for me, through this story, is one of fight and hope and determination and drive as well, and um, and obviously your your book uh, titled Bald, "Bald, Brave, and Bloody Beautiful," uh, which are uh, is due out this year, yes. late this year. Yeah, yeah. I um, do you know what I? When I was diagnosed with the cancer, I said to Liamy Surgeon, I said, "You know what, Lee? I'm going to write a book." He went, "We'll do it." I said, "I will," and I always thought that was my goal uh, from diagnosis. So um, I ended up contacting um, a lady called Angela Preston. She's a three-time best-selling international author. Um, she's got a cut. Um, she wrote a comic. She's got about four published, actually. Um, I've been following her on LinkedIn, and I was like, "Oh my god, I need to connect with this lady." So where uh, we ended up having a chat and met up for a coffee, and I said, "Look, this is what I want to do." She went, "I'll help you," and I went, "Really?" And you know, what? I've got a friend for life with that. Me and I went through the. You know, I wrote a lot of the books. She's gone over and you know, been doing the editing part and stuff, and sitting with me and just helping me how to get it out because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a natural writer. Um, it's been emotional with her, but um, yeah, she's. She, I've chose the best person for this. Um. The title I got from, so my managers at work got me a card and it had Bald, Brave and Bloody Beautiful on it. And I, went, mm-hmm. and I remember saying to Angela, I don't know what I'm going to call this book, you know. And um, Angela went, it will just come to you. And I, I, I was rooting through stuff and I seen the card and I went, oh, that's what I'm calling me book. What a title mm. that'd be. <laughs> and that's how I got yeah. the name for it. I had to check note there was no book out there called it. Um, yeah, so that's where I got the, the title from for the book. But it's been... Very emotional, you know. I met Angela in the October, and she told me how to start with the writing. So um, I was like, "Right, okay." Got home and got the laptop out and started just typing out um, about me breast cancer. But you know, I wanted to go more deeper into that of who Danielle was, and you know, me growing up, uh, you know, little part of that. 
um, my extended family background because, you know, my nan, my dad's mum had breast cancer. She died of that when she was 54. Um, my dad had a disabled brother he was severely disabled uh the correct term what they used them days was spastic i'm sorry for saying that but that's what they were called mm. in those days he was you know bedridden and it bet yeah have i said that right um and yeah he died at the age of 27 we had my granddad wally who had um stomach cancer uh he fought in world war Two in burma um he was hit with Stabbed with a bayonet, I think I've said that right. Um, yeah, bayonet, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot to my family, you see, and I wanted to bring that into the book because that shows how I was conditioned, you know, from a young age, being around mm. that type of family. You know, my mum's family are really strong characters. My nan, you know, her mum died when she was um, three and she was brought up by her older sister, Um Obviously, she met my granddad. My granddad, um, I've come, my uncle's Terry McDermott. I don't know if you follow football. Um, I do, yeah, I know Terry McDermott. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Liverpool legend. So, uh, yeah, they're all big reds in the family. And uh, my granddad was in the army for two years, my mum's dad. Um, he didn't fight in the world. He, he was in after World War Two, uh, but he was in the, he was played for the team um, as well. Yes, I've got, so yeah, my family background's special. Uh, and I, I'm very, very fortunate to come from the, the family I've come from. So, yeah, that, that's how I start in the book anyway. I just want people to know who the author is and who, what, what, where I've come from. Um, and then, yeah, I started writing. I think talking about the the cancer journey has, has helped me, as I said earlier on in the show. It's been um, a great way to heal. And there's not there wasn't any books out there for, that would support me going through that as a young woman there is cancer books that women have wrote you know uh, but there was one by um two doctors and but that was very clinical and quite overwhelming to read when you don't want to look at the how you know what certain cancers can do if they come back and things you know it, it, it was too much information i for me personally some people like to read into things i'm not someone that wanted to do that you know, I didn't have the cancer. I wanted to, to move on from it then. And um, so mine's is basically just sharing my journey, sharing my pictures because obviously I'd lost the breast. There was no pictures for me to see of um, a mastectomy. You could see drawings, mm-hmm. but it's not the same as the real thing. Um, sharing my wigs because, the, again, there was no pictures of or even just meeting women who were wearing wigs when I was going into the cancer centre. A lot of them wore um, headscarves. So I didn't know what that would look like. So, you know, you, you're going into the, the fear of the unknown constantly with that kind of journey. And I wanted to share my part in it and share those pictures. And it's a big thing to share my breasts in it. You know, it's it's not something you, want, you, you throw out there, but there's meaning behind it. And I want to give the other women hope and... and relax their mind to some extent to go well look this is the outcome that I got you know when you have a mastectomy if you're under a d-cup um you will have an expander fitted and they pump uh, they uh, fill that with saline every week until it reaches the 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 level of your breast your natural breast but mm-hmm. it doesn't fall natural so when I was going for my reconstruction surgery, I just assumed I was going to have an implant in the right breast. 
And when my surgeon said to me, we're not touching that breast, it's healthy. And I was like, well, what am I going to look like, Lee? And he went, look, just see how it falls. You know, it does fall more natural, but I, again, I couldn't visualise it. And I, I was absolutely, that, 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 you know, when you said earlier on in the show about me, you know, I was so focused on my hair. I was to that mm-hmm. point. But once I come to the reconstruction, the realisation of what I'd gone through hit me. And I went, oh, my God, I'm 30, I was now 35, uh, 36. I've got one normal breast and one fake one. But what's mm. it going to look like? <clears throat> and uh, the breast nurse was saying, it will fall more naturally. But no one had any pictures for me to see. And I was like, I, I was just in such terror. I, I remember getting home from the clinic and on the uh, FaceTime to my twin sister, I had my boobs out. <laughs> twin, look what I'm going to look like. Oh, my God. You know, I was in, in total, like... Uh, just it was horrific and she was going Danielle just see what happens I know it. she went I can't even begin to imagine what you're going through she said but just see first and, and you know if I would have seen pictures of other women I probably would have settled more um so but once I'd had the surgery that we can the, the implant it, put in then once I come out of it I went to my mum oh my god mum that's boss that actually looks a lot more natural than, you know, it looks better mm. than what the expander did. And I thought, no, this needs to be out there. I've had my, my, areola, my areola, I forgot, I couldn't even get that out then, areola tattooed on which I got in a, a place called Posh in Egbeth <clears throat> by Helen Frost. And, oh, my God, it's, it absolutely looks like a real nipple, an areola. It's absolutely, it's 3D and it's fantastic. And... That needed to, all that needs to be shared, you know, from an expander to an implant to the areola, so people can see what it looks like. And hopefully, when they're going through that, they're going to go, "I'm all right now seeing it." But if your breasts are larger, they will do surgery from other parts of the body, so the back, the bum, and I think the tummy. Um, mm. I can't remember what that's called. Um, so that's a, a completely different. But they normally, if you've got larger breasts, they normally will match it up. You will do something with the, the other breast to sort of match because they fall differently, don't they, when you've got larger. So, um, yeah, so that's why I wanted to write the book so other people can can look at them, can look at it and go, all right, then, it, you know, yeah, it's horrible, it's a scary journey, but look at this girl, she's gone through it and look what she shared there, that looks more natural. Well, I think that, you know, it's it, it, it's it's you, isn't it? That's the, the thing, the book. Yeah. Um, just captures you you know you, as you say you 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 were bald you are brave <laughs> the, the the beauty in terms of us being a human being is 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 not hiding behind that mask anymore yeah. and showing people you know look we know the narrative the emotional journey of what people uh go through and and you know we've we've taken a, a light touch during the show here today but i think the explicit nature in which the book is put together will help so many people because there's still this there's still this taboo I feel around cancer you know the big C and when it's mentioned and diagnosis and you know a lot of the time it's fear of the unknown and and what people are faced with and the more opportunity there are for people like you to be out in the world and on on platforms to share their stories and and to publish books particularly in the way that yours is going to be, I think will help so many because like you say, there was nothing there when you were going through other than the sort of clinical documentation or leaflets. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's the raw realness of having that conversation or having access to information to say, well, what will it look like? What will I feel like? 
Um, and I think you're a, you're you're an absolute credit, Dan, to to you know all those around you, and your family, and particularly Holly, obviously. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Do you know what? Even the wigs, you know, that was the biggest fear of face for me. And just, you know, when you walk into that wig shop and Sasha Grace was absolutely just fantastic. The, and nature, she's a Londoner as well. <laughs> she's just gorgeous. She's like, you're right. <laughs> Can't even do it. I'm sorry. That was a bad one. <laughs> and uh, she was like, you know, don't worry about it. If you're not happy, we'll change it and stuff like that. Because obviously you're walking and you're like, how have I come to this? I've got a stick here on my head when I had it. In, well, I've still got it. And... Mm. um once she picked my wig, it matched my natural hair. And I was like, oh, my God, I can actually look like Danielle. I mean, they're uncomfortable, the wigs. I'm not going to sit there and say they're not. But, you know, there was, I had a gym wig and I had a hat wig because your head sore when you're losing your hair. You, you know, you have this tingling all over your head. And so Sasha made hat wigs. So it was just like a, a band support on the head. But your hair had come from, like, the crown. And just full, and then you put a hat over it, so you had none on top, basically. Mm. And um, yeah, I, you know, I thought, oh no, actually, no one was even now. To be fair, you know what I mean. So I thought, right, okay, now I'll share all that as well, just to, for, to give other women that bit of hope. And um, yeah, I've been helping people on, along their journey already, and you know, I think it'll be even better once the book comes out because that's what I'm aiming to do anyway as a life coach. Is you know people that are in uh, cancer recovery to support them moving forward and I know they mm. have things but it's a lot very clinical and I, I don't think there's anything more real than being around someone who's gone through the process and who's able to move forward in a more positive way yeah what well, is it there's such an accurate empathy mm. you know uh, that that can be offered up as well and am I right in th- is it October time the book yeah, well, it was it was September, but I'm saying October now. With uh, we know what's going on, James, but we're not giving in it in a way, yeah. are we? <laughs> but mm, yeah, it's probably no. going to be October now. I'd say I'd say okay. latest the end of October, the book will be out. And so, uh, you know, I must say, obviously, you mentioned LinkedIn earlier. You're extremely active on LinkedIn as well, and, yeah. and to share with the listeners, you know, some of the um, images that you talk about in the book as well. You've 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 you publish and you put images on your page as well don't you mm-hmm. on the social medias to yeah. show without the hair as well and um and and your wigs and you know and and so if you could share uh those handles those those um addresses for people to sort of follow you as well danielle that'd be great yeah so my linkedin is just danielle mcdermott uh, it will have author of bald brave and bloody beautiful as the headline um my Instagram is Dan underscore Macca, M-A-C-C-A, 2020. And uh, my Facebook is Danielle McDermott, again. And it will have um, headline as author as Bald Brave, Bald Brave and Bloody Beautiful. Well, there we go. Get following people. Get following. <laughs> and purchase the book, obviously, when it comes out oh, yes. as well later this year. And obviously, if they're following you, they'll see all the updates as and when yeah. the, the, the release yes. uh, the releases. Now, um I've got a few more questions to fire off before we finish okay. and I feel cheated that we've only had this amount of time together, but uh, mm-hmm. you know what? I think I'm going to put it out there now. Why don't we do another show near a book launch as well? So when we get to that stage, we can talk about that. Oh, if brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. What I want to ask Danielle, just before we close is how do you think it's achievable to others to, to, to go through that transformative process without going, without experiencing 
uh, a disease and illness such as you did? You know, how can they make these robust choices in their life? Do you know what? Sometimes I, I think people have to go through these things to to come out the other side and, and take a different look on life because, you know, it took me, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> to get a life threat threatening illness for me to make those changes. I think I would have made them at some point anyway, but this has gave me that kick up the backside that I needed. So, you know, it can people change their mindset? Yes, they can. Um, but I do believe that the, the they've got to go through something adverse for them to want to want to do that and not everyone has that mental strength they do deep down they do but they don't want to they don't want to challenge themselves i think um you know i'm all about challenges i love it you know and i've been through through so much adversity that the cancer was the biggest part of the biggest one and I was able to move forward from it. But I have, you know, from the depression, I was able to sort of start changing my life a bit. There was just certain big changes I needed to make, but you've got to, you've got to sit there and question your whole life and go, right, what's making me unhappy? What's making me happy? What can I change? What can't I change? Oh, you know, it's just re you reevaluate anyway from whatever you go through, but cancer made me reevaluate the whole, the whole process of my life. Mm. and i suppose we're such habitual creatures as well when we get into those grooves those habits those relationships yeah and generally stay there for much longer than perhaps we should and i'm a firm believer that really we only ever um adjust our behavior patterns if they're having a significant impact on our life and obviously you know along comes something that is is that demands priority in terms of, of of cancer and so therefore you know, there's an importance to change direction, to start looking at things differently, to ask those big questions around existence and what we're here for and, you know, how we can get the best out of it as well. And I, I, you know, look, I, I agree. I think that it does, it does force our mindset to shift, but I urge everybody to, to just reflect, as you say, reflect upon their lives and consider, you know, is there a is there a richness to their existence that they that they deserve that that we all want, and um, and to begin to sort of think about where we're all at, and we all deserve that, and and it's I suppose it's an ever changing process as well because what's working for us now might not work in six months or a year's time, but we're organically developing, evolving creatures constantly, and. Yeah. Uh, I we believe, never know what's around I the believe our lives are mapped out for us. I do believe that. There's, mm. you know, and what's for you won't pass you by. Um, mm. You know, we can take one route. You know, I was going, because my twin sisters, you know, you've just mentioned all stuff before, but I, my twin sister said to me, God, you you change like the weather, what you want to do with your, with your life. And I went, Hayley, because it's obviously not meant for me. I was training as a counsellor and I was looking to do management in the hospital. And I went, Haley, my life, life's changed and my outlook of life's changed. So what I thought I was, what route I thought I was going down, it's took a massive 360 turn and gone, no, you're going the other way. That This is not where you're meant to be. You're going down a completely different road now. And making the changes I made, like my relationship was the biggest one. That is it. Oh God, I've lost what I was going to say. Oh God, that was powerful as well, what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> the menopause. That's the joy of bloody <laughs> chemotherapy, by the way. Um oh my god. It'll come carry on talking and I'll try and get it I'll try and get it back. <laughs> well it will. Well you know, look, I think 
you know the 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 change uh the changes that we make and moving around in different directions is never for me it's never a bad thing like you say it's it's making the choices for us and not to be sort of manipulated or conditioned yeah. by the environment because yeah. it's important to go with the the you know the flow of our existence you know often positive psychology talks about optimum flow state so you know trying to to, to create equilibrium or balance where we can we can move with where the current is taking us but but not be carried uncontrollably by the current so uh, the current so we dictate or we determine yeah. uh, the direction that that we want to be heading in and if actually you know like you say being at the hospital or or other people that are in jobs we do have to ask these questions that yes look and in the current climate as well jobs are extremely important yeah but again like any other relationship if it's not adding the value that we believe we deserve, then then it's not about you know handing our resignation in, but it's about considering alternatives. What else? What what's what's important to me, yeah. and what do I want to be doing? I'm chasing for life. I am chasing for 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 a life now, a better life, and being around just be going to work nine to five is just not not for me right no more. I mean, I love I love working. You know, I need to work. It's you know that's part of my being, but there's more there's more to life in other roles you know I don't want to be stuck working for other people I want to work for me I want to be the boss of my own life I don't you know because I've been in such a controlling relationship for like 16 years I don't want to be controlled I want to I want to be the one in control so it's it's about taking your life back you know we looked Coronation Street has got a storyline at the moment of a lady that was um a couple of ladies wasn't there who were mentally abused and stuff like that and why are we letting people dictate our lives to us why aren't we do, doing that ourselves why has it got to take me to have a life-threatening illness to go hang on a minute this is my life i'll choose what to do with it if i can give any advice and if anyone's going through you know a relationship that's really unhealthy the best thing you can do is move away from it and just watch the law of attraction on netflix as well because that will open your mind up so much more i am a big believer mm. in that sorry <laughs> no 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 need to apologize at all <laughs> Um, well, you are, you're an amazing advocate for positivity, for hope, for fight, determination, growth, transformation, being the best you. Um, and as I said before, a, a real credit to your family. Um, and I don't want to close the show without asking about Holly and where she's at in all of this, really, because, you know, um, seven years old when, when, when first diagnosed and, um, and, and and really, you know, as I say, you've you've modelled such good behaviour in terms of, as you've said throughout the show, wanting to be there for her, wanting to show uh, and, and be a good reference point for Holly mm-hmm. about strength and courage and managing fear and tears and so on and so forth. How's Holly doing? She's good, you know. She's a bit up and down at the moment, obviously, with the break uh, the breakdown of the relationship. But, you know, we're, we're working through those emotions at the moment. But, you know, I take her training with me now. So um, she can just get involved. And that just releases those endorphins for her. But, you know, she's got a lot of friends. She's a popular child. She's very open and honest. Um you know, once COVID things settle more, then she'll go back and do a dance because she's a fantastic dancer. She she's gonna she was doing piano lessons. So, um, I want to get her back into that. Um, I think things have just been up in the air with no school and no routine as such, um, because I was shielding for so long as well. So, 
Yeah, but we're going to get a little holiday as well uh, soon. Uh, have a little break before, um, well, hopefully when something happens big. Um, yeah, but she's no, she's a good kid, and she, yeah, she's she's happy. She's fine. Good. Well, I think you both deserve that holiday without a doubt. Thank you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, um, now I tell you, I tell you what I'm going to take from the show, and there is a lot that I'm going to take from the show actually. Um, and and then just to sort of summarise what I think that um, I've heard and and how I've interpreted it all is for me the the standout statement is what we said um, in the early part of the show is what you put in your mind you put into your body as well that that really hit home for me Uh, a sense of sort of chasing normality sometimes you know when we are in crisis and we're not necessarily being ourselves there's this constant cycle of chasing what we believe normal is Mm great lyrics from from the first track you you don't have to be a prisoner of your own mind the importance of healthy selfishness um choices always should come from us from the eye from the from what we want out of life you know our whole conversation was was laced with positivity and hope and mindset and fight and and really you know life is about you know, life is about getting out of it what we believe we want and what we feel uh, is 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 achievable. Um, Danielle, it's been such a pleasure, and I'm so pleased that we've finally managed to to get this conversation set up and in place. Um, it's been far too long. Um, so, a reminder for those that want to follow uh, your Instagram is Dan underscore Macca twenty twenty. LinkedIn, uh, you can either search for the book title which is uh bald brave and bloody beautiful but danielle mcdermott as well is that right yes and then just remind me facebook, of your facebook is just again. danielle mcdermott again and it'll have the, the, the title as author of bald brave and bloody beautiful amazing amazing uh well we must uh close the show in the the fashion that we're accustomed to and that is to go over to our resident expert mr tom hanks to see what he thinks of the show uh tom how do you feel that went I'd say that was a pretty successful broadcast. I totally agree with you. Uh, it was a successful broadcast. And, uh, you know, <laughs> thank you. Listen, I've been James Rose. My special guest today has been Danielle McDermott. We'll be back next week for another episode of the happiness algorithm with another great guest, more great music, more great conversation. Have a great week, people. Be safe, be healthy, and be happy. Oh